0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call in the spirits to be with us here today. I call out to our ancestors to all of those who lived well and died well and bring the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our lines, I call out to these ancestors to join us here today. Not just my own and those who are listening at this moment, but all those who will listen to this podcast at any time. I call, to call out to all of our ancestors all the way back to the first man and the first woman and acknowledge that we are one human family. I ask these ancestors to be with us here today, to gather around, to hold us well, that we might become vulnerable enough to hear something we must hear, to go forward in the way we are called to go forward in this life, to do what the descendants need from us. So I ask these ancestors to be with us, to whisper in our ear, to guide our feet, and help us to remember that it is on their shoulders that we stand, and we do not actually have to make all the same mistakes over again. So may we learn from those who have gone before us and take the path of humanity forward in creative, innovative, and heartfelt ways. So with a nice deep breath, let's extend our energy down and reach all the way down into the center of the earth and to give thanks for the beauty of this day, for the absolute wonder of life. And let us become aware in ourselves of the miracle of life that we carry within us. And let us honor and acknowledge that miracle in some way in this day. Let us notice the beauty around us. Let us feel the emotions, even the suffering. Let us be present in this day in a way that engages with and acknowledges the true and great beauty of life and all of its diversity in all of the human and the non-human beings. So give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought this amazing experience of life to this planet. This experience that we are all sharing now at this time. So we give thanks to the earth for home, for place, for a place to take a stand, to ground our energy, and perhaps to set down roots or to know it's time to pull them up and to travel across this great, great globe. So we give thanks to the earth for connection and interconnection and for the opportunity to come together in circle and in community and the opportunity to stand alone and to find our voice and our song. So we give thanks to the earth for all that is amazing about life and we ask for the help from the earth today to understand how to be manifest in form in a good way for all living things. So let us draw that energy of the earth up through our bodies and out through the top of our heads and send it all the way up to the highest power of the universe and connect there with the energy of the sky, the divine energies, and call this energy down into ourselves, into our day, into our circle. Bringing in the energy of blessing and protection, generosity and benevolence and all of the wisdom of the cosmos. So we call these energies in. Drawing the earth and sky together within us, that the heaven and earth can come together into their great, uh, beautiful ball of energy we call the Tao. We call yin and yang, and we call wholeness. So we call out to these energies to be with us and give us the ability to truly awaken the heart spirit. We call out to the heart to be with us here today and to open up into its true and amazing capacity. The absolutely paradoxical and counterintuitive way that the heart is able to open completely without judgment or hesitation or limitation to all of the energies of the lower chakras and all the fiery passions that burn there with our desire for why we are here. And to draw those energies up and to give them a place in the heart where they can be seen and felt and known. And then to draw the energies down from above, from the mind, with all of its crystal clarity, cool precision, and the ability to to articulate and to have insight and to understand. We call those energies into the heart as well and allow the heart to do the magic that only the heart can do, to allow these energies to dance without destroying each other, but together somehow to bring out each other's great essence and let those essences merge and intertwine until they come into our conscious awareness of the feeling of our true gifts and may we find in our heart the courage to bring those gifts out in the world so we give thanks for the presence of spirit with us and around us and within us here today may what needs to be said be said what needs to be heard be heard and may all that transpires here today be good for all living things so i have a deep and heartfelt thanks to all of you listeners who are helping financially to keep the show on the air Thank you for donating, especially to Jennifer and Deborah and actually to the Last Mass community who's recently donated to the show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, even in irritation or frustration, I ask you to please allow that movement in the heart to move you into action and do something to help our show to grow. If you would like to donate to the show and don't know how, you are welcome to go to WhyShamanismNow.com. All of the archives of the shows are there from the very beginning. You can um, listen to past shows. You can click the support button and donate any amount of money that you choose to, large or small. And all of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And for those of you that are uncomfortable making a donation through cyberspace, that is completely fine. Just send me an email at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I am more than happy to give you the address to simply send a check here. Um if you'd like more information about Last Mass Center, um, long-distance healings, or classes coming up in the fall, uh, sorry, the winter and the spring, you can go to lastmaskcenter.org. So thank you all for all that you do to help the show to grow, for your wonderful questions, your great suggestions for shows, for sharing the show with others, for putting a link on your websites to the shows, for commenting on the shows, for connecting to us on Facebook and all of the many things that you're doing to help this uh, show move out into people's consciousness and awareness. So I give great thanks and gratitude to all of you. The topic of the show today is picking up your medicine today. In other words, what does it look like to pick up your medicine in today's world? And... I do want to remind you that we are live today, and the call in number is different today. It is 682 222 7031, or you can click the Skype button if you're listening through the Code Creator Network.com site, or you are welcome to email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I have to ask you uh, to bear with me today. (laughs) I just finished yesterday um, the first, the beginning gathering of the first year teachings of um, the Cycle of Transformation. And I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to the four exquisitely gifted, diverse, and wonderful people who joined me for this long weekend and entered into the teachings I want to give thanks to Beck, who came from Last Mass Community to assist me, and to Jackie, who came from the community as an elder to welcome the new people into that circle. And I just have great gratitude to the new people and to the people that are already part of the community. Um, It's just uh, absolutely astounding where things are at this time. One of the Participants from this weekend sent me a message this morning, and I I have to share it just to show how amazing these people are. Um, She says, may your journey back into ordinary reality be seamless and gentle. May we keep the teachings close to our hearts and know we are not alone. May we remember spirit is always in our every breath, our every vision, and in all we love. So I feel truly blessed today deeply, deeply grateful, and more than a little bit exhausted. But I'll do my best here today. <laughs> so, um, And I, I just am grateful for people that are willing to come and to to receive healing sessions and in particular to receive the teachings because without those people, I would not be able to express my soul's purpose. And so I speak today just as another person on the planet trying my best to do what I've come here to do, and I'm offering gratitude for those who make that possible for me. So thank you. And so this idea of the soul's purpose is the thing that endlessly fascinates me, at least, about shamanism is um, experiencing through researching and learning about different shamanic cultures, people who shape their lives around um, how do we best support Individuals in bringing their unique gifts out into the world. And the way that that belief opens a people up in the very core of their culture to diversity, diversity in how people choose to express themselves in the world, um, and that extended all the way into their. Um, sexual orientation their role gender orientation in their community and all these options were possible within the context of the the cosmology and values of the community and in the core of that that value system in some way is always placed this understanding that each individual person is unique that they that they bring a unique gift and that it's absolutely essential for the descendants who are coming to bring those gifts fully manifest into the world, and that also it, it's important to connect with the ancestors who have been here uh, to be able to bring those gifts to the world. And so this, this what does that mean for us today? What does it look like to be a contemporary person living um, it, the way that we live today outside of these indigenous cultures and still have this, Reality inside of ourselves, this this soul's purpose that wants to be expressed, and and what do we do? How do we deal with that? As people that are not necessarily growing up in cultures or communities that are encouraging us to express our true and unique diversity and to find our uniqueness and to risk pursuing that, it's um, it's a. It's a uh, well, it's a constant puzzle, which is fascinating to me. But also it, it offers us age-old human challenges manifest in very new forms. Um, it's, I don't know, it's fascinating. But with this idea of soul's purpose then comes this idea of gifts, and in most shamanic cultures, there is some sense, some understanding of, the con- of a concept of reincarnation. It's not necessarily the, the, the Buddhist sense of it, but there is a sense that we aren't here only one time. And so because of that, there is an idea that we come into each life with gifts. Gifts that are, that are the, well, the medicine, frankly, that we picked up in lives before. And that the soul comes in with these gifts. Um, as well as what other gifts or strengths you come in based on your birth and your astrology and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, you come in with gifts. But also in the shamanic awareness is the sense that those gifts you come in, come in with are sort of, um, well, they're given. <laughs> they're already here. That you're expected to use them. The, the more interesting piece is that there are gifts available for us to pick up in this life? There are there are new things for us to realize through the experience of this life that then would become the gifts that would be we would bring into the next. And the the the, the sense of this came most clear to me when during this uh, period of time I was working with Maladoma Somme. and in uh, the the Dogra tradition there are many 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 um, different systems of divination um it's a it's a great wealth in that particular shamanic culture and in one of the many forms of divination that maladoma teaches there um it's a it's a version of a cowrie shell reading and within the cowrie shells are also a whole bunch of other things stones and rings and doodads and thingy bobs stuff and that they get um cast out on the cosmology and read um as is true in many divination forms. Anyway, the point is, in this particular set of divination tools, there are two rings. You know, like rings you would put on your fingers. There are two rings in the set. One ring is, is the piece that indicates what is going on in the health of your relationships with people, with the living. The other ring speaks purely and only about your relationship with the ancestors or the dead the the invisible world so and in this tradition ancestors is a big word in in this tradition ancestors actually extends out into most of the invisible world um, it's not just your blood relations so anyway the point is if you do a reading for someone with this divination tool and that ring that 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 indicates your the quality of your relationships or the nature of your relationship with the ancestors or the spirit world, is empty. It falls on the cloth with nothing in it or nothing around it. Then you don't even talk about the person's efforts to pick up their medicine or their gifts. Because the understanding in this tradition is that your relationship with your helping spirits, with your ancestors, is so fundamental to living in the way that will allow you to pick up your gifts... That if there's nothing in the ring, in other words, if you have no relationship with spirit, then you're not picking up your gifts, period. That you're not living in a way that you're going to be picking up your medicine in this life. And I found that really fascinating. Um, Shamanism has very little rules and a whole lot of principles. And it's very fascinating. It's just a given that if you're not in relationship with spirit, forget it. You can use the gifts you've come into life with. But... But the idea that you're actually gathering, um, manifesting the new gifts of this life is a given that you're not if you're not in relationship with spirit. And I I found that really fascinating. What that also says is that these gifts then are potential. They're potential lying dormant, maybe dormant in our life. But it's potential. They're waiting to be realized. And so, these gifts then that are there for us to pick up in this life require a working relationship with spirit. Or, another way to say that is through a working relationship with spirit and the insight and the crazy logic and all that comes to us through that kind of relationship, we're able to engage in our life in a way that we will discover or trip over or somehow find the energy. Of these gifts and be able to birth those gifts to to manifest those gifts because they're potential so they have to be shaped and manifested and and birthed into the world um, and so for me you know I'm aware at this stage in my life of three of these kinds of gifts that I have um, stumbled over and struggled with and. And been able to allow to transform me, and then I've transformed them into medicine that I can bring to my shamanic practice and usually in, in the teachings with my more committed students. So I'm aware at this point of only three such things, and they have absolutely no relationship directly with my helping spirits. And so the idea that, you know, if I have rabbit showing up in my journeys, I have rabbit medicine just by the very fact that that helping spirit shows up is naive. And so our medicine is something entirely different than who happens to show up in our journeys. That doesn't mean if for example bear shows up and you begin to work with bear in such a way that you begin to access bear medicine, that's that's a possibility. But the simple mere fact of bear showing up in your journeys does not by any stretch of the imagination mean that you now automatically have bear medicine. And so that's what I really want to talk about today is that sort of utter naivete in our contemporary lives about what it really means, what is really required to pick up a medicine. And the reason to talk about this is not just to be, you know, up on my soapbox, but I'm talking about it because medicine has got these stages and the final stage is to manifest the medicine in the world so that it is good for others so that it is helpful to others and it's only in doing that that we are able to create the world that is the world the descendants deserve to inherit and there, there's the understatement of the day is there's great dysfunction around power in, hum, in the expression of humanity here on the planet. And, and to pick up our medicine requires um, that we are willing to take, pick that medicine up and endure the beginning of this process where the medicine is first poison for us. And how we must allow that poison to transform us in some way. And then as that transformed person, we are now able to work our magic on the poison to transform it into medicine for us, for our own transformation. And then the third phase of picking up your medicine, that whole process, to say, I have bare medicine. I'm not saying that, but if you were to say that. The third part of that process is to give that medicine to the people. And so it's it's not it's not anywhere near as simple as just having bears show up in your journey and going woohoo I've got bear medicine. It's a whole long transformational process that requires that you transform, and the poison is transformed, and the medicine that comes out of all of that is given to the world. So, as I was saying, so I'm aware at this stage in my life of only three aspects that I have picked up in this lifetime. And to be honest, as I was getting ready for the show today, I realized I'm really not really quite sure what I'm in the process of picking up right now. And perhaps I should actually look at that. Um, So my understanding then of these gifts is that they are available to us. And in any lifetime, the gifts that we could pick up are probably limitless. If we were to engage in life in a way that allowed us to pick up our medicine. So, if we could live in that way, we could be always engaged in that process of experiencing the poison, being transformed, transferring the poison into medicine, and offering the medicine in the world and picking up the next poison. I mean, it's, we could be engaged in a way of life that we were constantly transforming the, the poisons of our life into medicine for the people, for the planet, for the environment, for whatever. That's my understanding of what indigenous people are really talking about when they talk about picking up your medicine, that it's a process and it doesn't even take months. It takes years. Okay, so that's what I want to talk about is is to really understand this so that maybe we can begin to use our relationship with our helping spirits to engage in this. And not be naive about what that actually means. Um, So let's talk about what it actually means. Okay. So I do not pretend for a moment to be a scholar of religion. So bear with me here. What I have noticed, though, when I speak with people who are religious scholars or who are simply passionate and educated about their own religion, is that all of these religions have some fundamental story of transmutation that involves some poison. That some special being in that religious system transformed and then was able to give it then to the people in a different way. So my sense is that all of the mystical traditions have a version of this story because the story itself is an archetypal story of, of human experience. That we, we are always in that place potentially of being in that arc of picking up your medicine. And so all of these mystical traditions describe that path for us so that should we find ourselves on it in life, we would know where we're going. We can follow that path because it's not easy. It's very easy to say, hmm, something's wrong here. I need to get out of this and bail in the middle of the very process of picking up the most precious medicine that only you have to offer to humanity. And so it's really important that we come to understand what it feels like to be in this process so we don't bail. Okay, so the mystical traditions then offer us these stories so that we can understand, oh, I'm in that story, that I am in that place where I must transmute my own inner poisons because I'm on that archetypal path and I need to make whatever medicine is going to come out of this available for the people. And that's what these mystical traditions Tell us. So, if I just pick one, um, one of the more uh, colorful, because we can see it in tankas all over, um, is the story of the five Buddhas, and it represents the transmutation of the of the five sort of most common poisons, which interestingly correlate with five of the seven deadly sins. You know, so these are the five of the things that humans do. Five poisons, five of the ways we are very, very toxic within ourselves and within each other. And these are ignorance or delusion, um, not innocent ignorance, but delusional ignorance, desire in its um, obsessive sense, aversion or anger, jealousy and pride. And And the stories are about how Uh, Buddha or the Buddhas were able to transform these five poisons into five transcendent wisdoms. And so, and that transmutation then comes not only from the the connection of, uh, with the divine. So the person is holding the poison then connects with the divine energy, but also the skillful focus and intention to transform that energy not just blissing out in the divine, but drawing that divine energy in and allowing it to create the context for the poison to transform. And it also means holding within all of that the imagination and vision um, that can hold that possibility of how that poison is going to be expressed out in this in a new way that is medicine. And, and part of that is allowing that transformation without controlling or having some preconceived idea of what it would turn into. So in the story of the five Buddhas, ignorance is transformed into all-pervading wisdom. Desire is transformed into the wisdom of discernment. Anger is transformed into mere-like wisdom. Jealousy into all-accomplishing wisdom. And pride into the wisdom of equality and equanimity. So in the many stories of the Buddha then we see the wisdoms emerging from the transmuted ignorance and compassion emerging from transmuted desire or power emerging from transmuted aggression. So we see these poisons being transformed and emerging as valuable energies for life. And so the important thing about these stories is that they are talking to us about what we are able to do. With our anger, our pride, our jealousy, our poisons. If we were willing to connect with our own divinity and to use our focus and imagination skillfully and wholeheartedly. So, um, yeah. and as I said, I mean, I think all the mystical traditions speak to this story because it's an archetypal path that's available to every human. Not just special humans, not just baptized humans, not just... Uh, indigenous humans but all humans and so in shamanism when we talk when we move out of the religious context and more into shamanism and more of an indigenous context this archetypal path is referred to often as just picking up your medicine okay so picking up your medicine and living your soul's purpose are not necessarily exactly the same thing but of course they're closely related the more, in other words, the more medicines I, I am able to pick up in my life, the more skillfully and uh, precisely and with greater devotion I'm able to live my soul's purpose. Okay, so the archetypal path then of picking up your medicine flows like this. I just I described it, but let's break it down again. So the first stage, the energy that will ultimately be medicine In the first stage of this process, it is a poison. In other words, it creates great pain or disharmony or um, some kind of dissonance in our life. And so when we engage with this energy or actually first pick it up, it's a problem. Um, But that problem, that pain or disharmony or constant disruption in our life forces us into inner work. So that's the second phase. So it forces us into some kind of inner work or inner transformation of the self. Or it doesn't. Or what I see more often, because we we in America are not in a culture that encourages you to do the work of picking up your medicine, encourage you to just go buy it as if you could, right? So either... The disharmony forces us to do our inner work and transform our inner selves or we simply thrash around in that pain and that disharmony in the certainty that we are a victim of it or that we are justified in it or whatever that excuse or uh, projected blame is out into our life and that we feel tortured and put upon and victimized by the very medicine in its poison form that we're actually here to pick up and give to the world. And so in that blame and projection, we're missing entirely the gift in the poison, which is guiding us towards our medicine, which is guiding us towards our soul's purpose. So if we thrash around long enough and ignore the medicine and just just embody the poison long enough and thrash around, we will begin then to create the brain chemistry that supports that state of being. And I, and I believe that actually this state of, of picking up the poison but not allowing the internal transformation ultimately changes our brain chemistry if we stay there year after year after year after year. I don't have any proof for that, but that's what I see from my shamanic work with people. So let's say that we're not those people that are thrashing around in the pain and disharmony and adding to more pain and disharmony in the world. But we're actually the people that are willing to be transformed. So let's say that we engage in allowing that inner transformation. Um, And if we do, then we have allowed the poison to transform us. And that's the first phase. That, in, in that way then, we found one of the gifts that we are here to manifest in this life. So that simple transformation. So the poison allowed to transform us is the gift and the poison for us in this life. But then the second stage of that is for that newly gifted person to begin to hold on to that energy that was a poison and transform the poison now into a medicine. And the medicine uh, is then something that can be beneficial to others. And so the poison transforms the person. And then the new person transforms the poison. And then you move into the third phase of this archetypal journey, which is the newly gifted person discovers how to offer that transformed poison as medicine to the people. And so the whole process of picking up your medicine has these three phases. And so what does that look like? today in contemporary terms where most of us don't have a community or a culture around us that's helping us understand that that's what we're doing um so let's say that you were raised by at least one parent who was sh- shut down emotionally for whatever reason doesn't really matter this means that their emotions the emotions of the parent never really come out directly or appropriately instead the emotions will emerge indirectly Or through shadow expressions. And so that's the environment that you as a child are growing up in. So this means then that as a child, you are feeling your emotions and trying to figure out what they are. And then at the same time, you're feeling your parents' emotions. And then you're also feeling your reactions to the feeling of your parents' emotions. And then you're trying to process all of that and make sense out of it as your own emotions because you don't realize they're your parents' emotions. And this situation is entirely crazy-making. And it sets up certain emotional patterns. And ultimately, what it creates in a child is a hypersensitivity to emotions. And some people just utterly shut down then emotionally, just like their parent did. But let's say that you're the kind of person that you've... You you have now in life this hypersensitivity to emotions. Well, that basically means that for you, strong, intense emotion in you, in yourself and in others, but particularly in others, is going to be poison. Because you're not going to know how to process it. So it's going to be poison. But, well, so the way you would notice that is an inability to function in a way that's healthy for you, in emotionally charged situations, which, of course, happen all the time at work, at home. I mean, so you're basically not going to be able to function. So in other words, emotion, which is a totally natural part of life, becomes a poison for you. Now, if you're a mature person, you're going to say, okay, I need to grow up here. I need to understand how to be with this in a better way because this is making my life... um, toxic and so one of the questions people usually start to ask around this is okay what is me and what is the other person and when as soon as a person moves to that place to begin to actually ask that question to move out of judgment and blame and shame and all that stuff it just begins to ask that question they're beginning to sort it out and so that poison of emotions is then starting to transform the person as soon as they start to ask that question so as as that person then learns more about tracking energy and about energy clearing, then that person then begins to be transformed completely by all that poison coming in. And in this um, so which in in this case, because there are emotions all over the place, they're all pointing directly at old emotional patterns for the person to clear. And so this this poison then, becomes this enormous gift for the person, transforming them, helping to clear old emotional patterns. And eventually, the old patterns are cleared, energy awareness is gained, energy itself is cultivated, and the emotions of others or the person themselves is no longer a a poison. The person finds a way to be healthy in an emotional world. So now the person is still emotionally hypersensitive, but now they've learned what they need to learn to be able to live in peace and balance with this gift. This emotional hypersensitivity becomes a gift, and the poison is then transformed. So now that the person is transformed, the poison is, can be transformed. And so other people's emotions can become, for the person, now clearly negotiated boundaries. Clarity in one's energy body. Nonviolent communication. I mean, that, that ability to function so well in emotionally charged environments now becomes the person's gift. The ability to discern well when emotions are flying. A lot of people lose it entirely when emotions are flying. So now, if the person really wants to complete that archetypal journey of picking up that medicine the person then moves to bring that medicine out in the world. So this could look like, in the most humble sense, simply the ability to communicate in all situations, clearly and directly with people, in a way that shows an accuracy and a compassion to the emotional state the person is in, the other person. Especially when that other person doesn't even realize they're in an emotional state. And if this is done really well, that emotional person who didn't realize they were in an emotional state will be freed to actually accept their emotions and feel that experience of um, simply feeling their emotions and having that be okay and letting it pass. I mean, how we communicate in emotionally charged environments does everything uh, about to shape the container as to whether those emotions are allowed and can flow and can find their natural healthy path and move out of the way Or whether they get all stuck and charged and and become um, energies that then distort distort what's really going on and in particular distort the path forward. So the medicine this person could have picked up that began as poison in emotionally charged environments becomes the ability now to function with such clarity and precision and accuracy in these environments that other people can move into a healthier relationship with their emotions. So that's just an example of what it could look like in today's world to pick up a medicine. So it's not really as simple as, you know, getting bear medicine just because your helping spirit happens to be a bear. Or feeling that your compassion comes from your awareness of your own woundedness. So the wounded healer is the person who became a healer by finding the path of healing from healing their own wound. So, when, and there's a whole show about that, so I'm not going to go into that again. But basically, our compassion doesn't come out of simply continuing to tap our woundedness. Our true compassion comes out of finding the path of healing that woundedness and being able to understand the path others must walk. And potentially, then, if it becomes your medicine, to guide them, to offer guidance to others on that path. So when we pick up our medicine, it is at first a poison, right? And then when we allow that poison to change us, we become the person who can shape that poison into medicine for others. And as with all things in shamanism, this is really then about the quality of relationship that you bring to your engagement. So it's about the quality of relationship through which you engage with the poison. And the discomfort or the illness in your life and it's about the courage you bring to that relationship and about the journey of transformation and transmutation that is required to transform yourself to then transform the medicine and then find a way to bring it out to the people so ultimately picking up your medicine is about your willingness to forge deep deep intimacy with yourself and from that place, which is a deep internal yin place, to be able to express out from there and do whatever it takes, the, there is absolutely no way to transform or to pick up your medicine, to transform these energies, staying um, staying completely within your cultural permissions, context, box, manners, etc. That you must be willing to do whatever it takes to transform that poison in your own life into your own medicine and from there into medicine for the people. So one of the challenges that I see in our contemporary life is people who pick up the energy that ultimately is going to be medicine but don't allow the transformation of themselves. And so that energy remains a poison in their life. And ultimately in the lives of everyone that they touch. So this is a hazard in these um, spiritual community teachings, shamanic community teachings, energy work teachings, all these trainings that we can engage in right now that are actually fairly high-level trainings. But we can engage in these processes um, in ways that do not include rigorous skills or standards for your personal work and your personal transportation, um, your own personal reflection. Um, and so sadly, this state where people are in these processes and so the energies are coming to them to pick up, but they 're staying stuck in the poison mode because the the teachings are being offered in a way that doesn't also offer that personal um, self-reflection, self-transformation piece. And so an example of this uh, actually happened quite a long time ago. I was still very new as a teacher, and I, I, um, it, was a, it was a great gift for me as a teacher, but I, I regret I probably didn't do as good a job as I could have for this particular student at the time. So the student was definitely being asked by spirit to pick up coyote medicine. And this is probably one of the most challenging medicines to have to pick up. So I have great compassion for anyone who is on that path. Um, so anyway, he was being challenged to pick up this medicine. And so it was, it was in him. I mean, he was doing shamanic work. So he had a relationship with spirit and with his ancestors. And so the energy had been picked up, but it was still very much in poison phase. He was in that kind of coyote, coyote shows up in my journey. So I have coyote medicine naivete and so that energy was very present within him and very toxic very poison to him very poison to us and the group and everybody and his wife everything and so um and but once again let me say it is not an easy medicine to pick up nonetheless there we are so he absolutely refused the personal work skills that are part of the last mask cycle teachings He would do them in the workshops just to get through the exercise, but he didn't embrace them and bring them into his life at all. That should have been the first sign for me, but truthfully, most people don't want to do the personal work stuff, so he didn't really stand out (laughs) any different from anyone else in that because people don't like to do self-reflection in general in the contemporary world, which is a big problem. So the other thing, though, is he absolutely refused... The self-reflection, which in that sort of convoluted, clever way, that is the hallmark of the trickster. And so that's one of the things that I see because we work with these crazy logic teachers who are all trickster teachers in this cosmology, is that they trick us into self-reflection. And most people, even if they they absolutely are hardline about not intentionally doing self-reflection, will allow themselves to be tricked by these trickster energies into self-reflection and into the personal work that needs to be done. When, and, it's, and it sort of begins with, uh, and then I realized I was the butt of the joke, ha, 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 and so I did my work. Well, he refused to do that. Now, that should have been the red flag for me. But, I, again, I was very young as a teacher, and I kind of didn't get it. Um, and partly because I really, I'm not a coyote teacher. I didn't, I, it, it challenges me. You know, Coyote annoys me. (laughs) I mean, I love Coyote now, but at the time, it really challenged me. So anyway, this student was a constant source of chaos in the group, and it was not generative chaos. Um, It was a distraction. It always came up that distracted the group away from the deeper source energies we were trying to learn from or distracted us away from the deeper personal processes the group was moving into. And so it was never... A healthy distraction or a healthy chaos, a healthy disruption. We had more than enough healthy disruptions. This was always a distraction away from the deeper teachings and the deeper work. Um, And what was really interesting to me is that he refused, over the three years, he refused to cultivate relationships with the crazy logic teachers that are part of our cosmology. And you would have thought that they would have been right up his alley. I mean, if he really... Um, if his coyote poison had really been transformed into medicine, then he would have been like partying with these crazy logic teachers they would have been absolutely second nature to him you know and that really should have been the red flag for me anyway two things happened then in the third year in very close proximity he confronted me in the middle of a fire ritual in a way that distorted the energy of the fire ritual that such that it was harmful for others in the ritual, in his community, in his group. And then he was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it kind of played out like this. So we had this, the fire ritual was the heads up for me as a teacher that I really needed to solve this. And I didn't understand it. And so I asked for help from an old teacher of mine who actually is a coyote teacher. And um, I really wanted to get his understanding on what was going on. And so, you know, this was almost 20 years ago. So he, he graciously uh, and thankfully helped me to see that while the man claimed to have coyote medicine, that in truth he was simply being ridden by coyote, almost like an unhealthy possession versus a healthy shamanic embodiment. And that was very helpful for me to, to see that insight and that he was expressing constantly the poison of this untransformed medicine. And so we talked about this more and more deeply. And I could begin to see then in this student um, the pressure that was building up in this man um, between the poison. You know, he kept working with coyotes. So as far as spirit was concerned, he kept calling this medicine in, but not willing to allow the poison to, to not willing to enter into that first phase of the process and allow the poison to transform him and so this was getting more and more toxic then because it was creating more and more pressure inside the man of asking 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 and refusing 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 Um, and I expressed my concern for the man because you know all I could really do was to continue to invite him to look at uh, himself and what my teacher said my old teacher said is that if this is really coyote Coyote will take care of it. And so I sort of stepped back um, and, and, and asked Coyote to take care of it. Um, and so when I next spoke with this man, um, who is definitely of a generation of men who are generally disrespectful of women without realizing that they are – and they, dis, they are disdainful of the power of the nourishment that comes from the feminine and um, disdainful of the energy that it takes to maintain and sustain things. Um, and that was really his sort of position in life, which was he came by honestly given his age and his his where he was raised. But when I spoke with this man, he called to tell me that he'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so here he, he, he's, I remember him saying, I've been given a woman's disease. It was, it was a, it was, and I just thought, oh my God, this is so, this could not be more coyote. This could not be more trickster. So when we all gathered, he'd gone through much of the treatments for the cancer, and he shared this then with the group. And this was by far the most honest sharing this man had ever offered in all of these years. So we're gathered at the beginning of the fourth year. And his honesty just opens up this dam that that he had erected around himself over these three years. And the whole group responded to his honesty by being really honest with him about how his supposed coyote medicine had affected them. Over the last three years, and in particular the damage that had been done to them in the fire ritual, and um, how this chaos that he always was um, fairly arrogant about it being you know useful chaos had been absolutely um, distru- disruptive and had and had held the group back from going where it could have gone and he was absolutely boggled by this. he had truly no idea um, how his expression of his most beloved helping spirit had been affecting everyone in his group because, I mean, he was a very loving man and he loved everybody in the group. And he was really mortified that he had been unaware of how much, how poisonous he had been in the group. And so through this truth-telling he was able to begin to see himself and and he saw that nothing was as it seemed and in that you know coyote was finally able to enter him as an embodiment, not as an unhealthy possession and he was be, he, he was finally able to begin to pick this poison up and let it transform him and open up um, through this sort of compassionate sharing and honesty and truth telling to see that things were not as he thought they were and allow that poison to begin to transform him. So the other challenge then with contemporary people is transforming yourself, but then not the poison so that then there's no medicine to bring to the world. And so what I've really learned from the spirits over these decades is that to not use your gifts, The gifts that you've been given, as well as those you gain in this life, is in and of itself an abuse of power. To not use what you've been given, to not use what you gain through your relationship with spirit and offer it to the world, is, is its own kind of abuse of power. Because the descendants are calling for these gifts. They're calling our gifted actions, our gifted visions, our gifted collaborations out of us. They are needed in the world. And in our own humble way here in the Last Mass community that the students gathered around these teachings, we have found this to be absolutely true in the the most humble and unexpected ways, that there are joys and gifts and manifestations of life and manifestations of ourself, that will lie utterly dormant until we begin to act in concert in community so until we began to bring our gifts out into our own community and to share them and to use them and to build this community together by using our gifts and our medicine that that parts of ourselves just simply lay dormant So both parts of that process then, the process of picking up your medicine, are critically important. Not just how it transforms you, but how you will then offer an energy, a medicine that can transform the world. Now with that said... Um, I want to acknowledge Sandra Ingerman's work and her book called A Medicine for the Earth. For those of you that are familiar with that, I'm sure you've been thinking about that all along as I've been saying this. So it's a book, as I said, but it's also a shamanic process that is about learning to work with transmutation and the divine energy within us to transform toxins, both inner and outer toxins. And it actually um, is a is a very real way to use your shamanic abilities to begin to affect the toxins and pollutions out in the world. Of course you can't achieve that without the inner transformation. Um, However, since they're both related one begets the other. So I want to honor Sandy and acknowledge that work and encourage people who are interested in this idea of transmutation and of really beginning to move your medicine out in the world a place to go to begin to use that. So where do you begin? Where do you begin to pick up your medicine? Well, you begin to, by looking at your life and finding the thing that has been the greatest disruptor, what has caused you the most pain and the most disharmony, because that is the energy that is in you and acting as a poison. And so for me, when I look for the, looked for these things, when, when, when I have over my life looked for these things, where I see them, for me at least, is in relationship with others. What are the things that I do in relationship that always, inevitably, no matter how hard I try, become a poison in the relationship? That it's either something I do that is harmful for me in relationship or something that I do that is harmful for the other. And not intended to be so, obviously. And so it is in these places in our life, in our work, in our relationships, in our relationship with ourselves, where time and time again, no matter how much therapy we do, how much energy work, no matter how much help we get from spirit, they still go awry. That energy that causes that, whatever that is in you, is the poison that wants you, to transform it into a medicine. So it is your great disruptor, your sharpest, most repeated pain, the thing that is most toxic that you do to yourself and, and or to others unintentionally. That is where I would look for my sort of untransmuted medicine is in those places in life. And then the next piece then if you don't have a skill, find one. Learn one. To to do some sort of internal transformation, internal energy clearing, that is illuminated by the light of the divine. And a more practical way to say that, that that internal cleansing and clearing, that transmutation is based on your understanding that you are one with all things. You are innately sovereign, you are innately powerful, and you are innately loving and lovable. And from that context, then, to allow this poison to transform, to transmute it, to allow it to transmute you. And from there, after we've changed ourselves, the transmutation of the poison into medicine is a bit like going down the other side of the mountain. The climbing upside is the changing ourselves. And so the first thing is to find the disruptor in your life, the chronic disruptor. The second thing is to use your skills or gain a skill to allow that chronic disruptor to transform you through inner work, inner transformational work. And then with even just a little help from spirit, it will seem easy to understand how then to transform that poison into a medicine. And then the final step is to find the courage in your heart to deliver that medicine, to find a vehicle to bring that medicine out into the world to your people, whoever those people might be. And I encourage you to do this because I know I am waiting for your gifts and your medicine. The descendants are calling for them. We are all, humanity is starving For the gifts that we are all here to bring. So may you all find a way to tap into that that great disruptor in your life. And begin the journey, the archetypal journey of transforming that poison into medicine. So I want to thank the spirits for gathering around us here today. The ancestors for guiding me and supporting me as I'm a little bit tired and wobbly today. I give thanks to the earth below and the great beauty of my life, the sky above and the blessings that I feel. And I give thanks for the heart that unites us all. And especially today, I give thanks for your heart. Thank you all for being here in the world with me. So next week, we have one of my favorite people coming. I'm very, very excited that Michael, but Michael Dunning will join us again. He's a yew shaman, as in yew tree. And he's going to share his experiential understanding of ancient shamanic practices. And this this, uh, teaching is based on the understanding that health is is innate in us. And um, Michael's practices of you shamanism are available through the Sacred You Institute. And he is going to come and share some of this with us on the show next week as a guest of the Society Society of Shamanic Practitioners interview series. So I want to thank Michael for coming next week and the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. And I thank you all for listening. Have a great week.